Hey guys, welcome back to Fiction Fixation. We're your hosts. I'm Courtney. And I'm Rose. And this week we're going to be recapping the 2019 crime thriller Above Suspicion, starring Amelia Clark, Johnny Knoxville, Jack Huston, and that's it. There's also Amelia Clark's Southern accent. An Amelia Clark Southern accent. That is another character in this movie because she is British and she does the thickest Southern accent I've ever heard in my life. I'm not saying that Amelia Clark's Southern accent is bad, but I am saying that it's not correct. It's not correct. Okay, tell us, because this movie takes place in a very small town in Kentucky, Pikesville, Kentucky, and you're, you live in Kentucky. I do. So first... Ville in Kentucky is pronounced Vole. Oh, goodness. Pikeville. Pikeville. I've never been there, but I feel like at the very beginning of the movie, she was trying really hard with the Southern accent, Mm -hmm. but I feel like it really leveled out and started to feel more natural as the movie progressed. It did. That's very true. The beginning of the movie, the accent just hits you upside the head. Well, at one point, she's yelling at the children and she says they haven't even at yet. Instead of eight? Yeah. Girly, Amelia. No. But also the thing is that the Tennessee, I live in Kentucky, so it's easy for me to recognize colloquial accents, Mm -hmm. but just, I don't know, the accent didn't do it for me at the beginning of the movie. Like I said, I'm not saying that it's bad, but I am saying that it was not correct. So the movie begins with a shot over a forest and then it starts settling over human bones. And our narrator is Amelia Clark with her thick accent, and she's dead. She's presumably the bones on the ground. Yeah, Amelia Clark plays Susan Smith, and she's talking about the things you realize being dead. She says that the worst part of being dead is that you have too much time to think. And honestly, that was the worst thing I ever heard because are you telling me I'm going to still be thinking even after I die? (laughs) Are you telling me it doesn't stop? So you're telling me that when I die, not only do I still overthink, I now have nothing to occupy my time except to overthink. Right. All I have to do is just sit around and think about every awkward thing I ever did in my life because that's what I do right now when I'm alive. You know what I mean? That sounds like the bad place. (laughs) That does sound like the bad place. I don't like it. (laughs) I don't want to do that. I will not be doing that. Thank you. We will opt out of death. So, Susan, I think that this is a situation a lot of rural, small town, sort of forgotten places find themselves in. It's to where these big companies come in for these big grand plans. They build up these cities. Pikeville is one of these cities where they come in. They had these mining towns, you know, they were coal mines, or they come in, they build these big um, plants or factories. But then as time goes on, these plants, these factories, these coal mines, they close. And with those closures is a lot of jobs lost. But these people have roots in these towns now, and they also don't have the financial means to leave these towns. So they have to turn to, a lot of times they turn to some illicit means of making money. Yeah. Susan tells us in her narration, she says that there's only two two ways to make money in this town, the funeral business or selling drugs. Then she tells us that she wishes she would have gotten to the funeral business. Because instead, Susan is a divorced mom of two living in a double wide trailer with her ex-husband and girly pop, that's a single wide. Oh, is that a single wide? I don't know the that's difference. That's a single wide. How do you, what's the difference between a single wide and a double wide? The size. That's <laughs> okay. a single wide. Okay. I didn't know. I'm sorry. It looked so, big to me. Like it looked big. Like her bedroom at the end was like a decent size room. And then there's a full a kitchen. Double wide. Mm-hmm. So a double wide normally has, you walk in and the first trailer has like the living room, the kitchen, the dining room, and then the second trailer, the double part of it, has the bedrooms. Gotcha. This is one okay. long, narrow one. It's a single wide. Gotcha. I had no idea. Okay. Thank you for that. So she lives here. And I feel really bad for Susan because not only does she still have to think after she's dead, but she also has to live with her ex-husband after she divorced him. Susan divorced her ex-husband, Cash, who is played by Johnny Knoxville. She lives with him. 
her two children, and then roommates. Like a random guy that she rents a, a room to who basically has his girlfriend staying there all the time. So it's like she has an extra tenant who doesn't pay rent. Yeah. And then not only is Susan kind of the breadwinner of like the family right now, she's collecting welfare from two states. So she's defrauding the welfare system in West Virginia. She's getting it to rightfully so in the Kentucky system but not so in the West Virginia system. She's also the leader of their little drug trade that she is heading up. She's also taking care of the kids. It's funny how you say like the drug trade. And I feel like I've heard that term before, but it makes it sound like a buy nothing Facebook group. And that's not <laughs> that's not the vibes here. You know what I mean? Like these guys aren't like trading drugs. They're selling drugs to people that have addiction problems. And P.S. Susan is an addict. She actively uses these drugs. We learn later, like she does, she wants to get clean, but she's stuck in this situation where she's trying to make ends meet for her children. So she can't kick her ex-husband out because she needs him. He makes money selling drugs as well. I would imagine it's really hard to get clean when they're constantly in front of you. Susan does seem to be dipping into the stash of what she's selling, but she does seem to be paying for it somehow. She does not a supplier who's not getting paid does not seem to be the, an issue. But still, I mean, she's in an abusive relationship because her ex is this dirtbag, right? It's a hairpin trigger moment where at any time he could just go berserk and start beating on her. But she's also not this timid, quiet woman. She's out here ripping him a new asshole for not making the kids lunch. So I would say for these kids, it's overall a very toxic situation. Yeah, for sure. Those kids are going to have to unpack all of this with the therapist later in life. We need to mention, though, that this is based on a true story. So this movie is actually based on the real life story of the murder of Susan Smith. And yes. let me tell you, girl, I read about the real story and it is so much crazier than the movie even depicts. I'll sprinkle in some real life facts as we go on. Please do. It's crazy because sometimes like real life is so crazy that you can't even put it in a movie because people would be like, come on, this doesn't even, that doesn't make sense. I think we can all agree that the last thing Susan needs is an FBI agent. Unfortunately, that's what she gets. An FBI agent is the last thing any of us needs. You know what? That's fair. An FBI agent is the last thing any of us need. So he's brand new FBI agent, Mark Putnam. But listen, Mark Putnam, he has ambition. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want these little petty drug busts. There's a bank robber in this county going around hitting up banks. These banks barely have any money anyway. So he's uh -huh. stealing like a couple thousand dollars per bank. And it just so happens, P.S., that the bank robber is Susan's tenant. So this girl is just, she can't catch a break, okay? She is mm -hmm. always knee deep in all the mess. Yeah. One night there's a party going on at Susan's house, okay? There's a lot, a lot of people here, including Susan's brother, Bones. As anybody who has spent any amount of time in a small rural town, mm -hmm. things get heated when people start running their mouths. There's all these people jammed into Susan's trailer. They're drinking, mm -hmm. they're doing drugs, they're whatever. And the idea is that there isn't much to do in this town except to party and do drugs. And I'm thinking like There's that. not. But I'm thinking that's an extroverted problem. Do you know what I mean? If there was absolutely nothing to do, you think you and I would choose to party? I think that this takes place in 1988. So I think that it was different back then. I think that there was no Wi-Fi. And even now, in more rural areas, there's still no Wi-Fi. There's no internet access. So Netflix, Hulu, Prime, all of that stuff's off the table I think hanging out and drinking beer and doing drugs is just what people do. It's the Netflix and chill of the time. Yeah, I mm -hmm. don't know, dude. I feel like I'm such an introvert that even if I lived in a place where there was literally nothing to do and there was no Wi-Fi or anything, I, I still would not choose to be in a trailer full of people just because of the full of people part. I don't want to be around people. So you have this trailer packed full of people who are drunk and high. And obviously mm -hmm. these are not 
upstanding members of our community, right? These are not Mm -hmm. level-headed people that can maybe disagree on things. So, of course, things turn violent. Somebody starts talking shit to Susan's brother, Bones. Bones can't let that slide. They get into an argument. They get into a scuffle. They go outside and Bones shoots this dude. Everyone scrambles because... This isn't their problem. Yeah. Susan's brother takes off, right? Like he he's on the run now. He's a fugitive. Mm-hmm. And by the time the authorities come sniffing around looking for him, they find mm-hmm. him because he came back because he has nowhere else to go. The sheriff deputy and the FBI agent, Mark Putnam, they show up at Susan and Cash's trailer Susan is no dummy. Susan knows her rights. She's like, don't let them in if they don't have a warrant. They come in anyways. <laughs> they come in anyways. Susan and Cash are hiding, flushing drugs. And the FBI agent is all calm, cool. He's like, there's enough cocaine on that mirror to charge you. Yeah. Also, they find a giant bag of Percocet. I'm talking mm-hmm. about like a 10 gallon size bag full of Percocet. And Susan's ex is like, I have a prescription for that. (laughs) Yeah. And it's so funny because the deputy goes for a thousand Percocet. But you know what? To be fair, this was before the opioid epidemic. So he could very well have had a prescription for a thousand Percocet. This was before they were doctors were limited in the amount that they. Wow. That's crazy. Prescribe. Susan is non bothered. Bones is trying to talk. And Susan's like, honey. Let me handle this, okay? You could tell Susan and her ex, Cash. What a stupid name, by the way, Cash. Cash is my cousin's son's name. (laughs) It's a very lovely name. Very presidential. Definitely screams CEO of a corporation. Not this Cash, though. Not this Cash. (laughs) He's not going to be a president or or a CEO. Yeah, you could tell that Cash and Susan, this isn't their first rodeo with the authorities. She's not intimidated. He's not intimidated. And in fact... Cash tells the authorities, listen, you don't want to bust this guy, Susan's brother, for defending himself. I can become an informant for you. I know all the big Mm -hmm. drug dealers. Cut me a deal. Because at this point, he's looking at jail time. Like everybody in that trailer is looking at jail time. Susan is looking at jail time. Everyone is looking at jail time. Yeah. Cash keeps running his mouth. Susan's like, Cash, you don't need to give up information now. She's trying to coach Cash on keeping some stuff to himself as bargaining chip later. And Mark, the FBI agent, is even like, hey, Cash, listen, I have a smart wife too. You should probably listen to her. (laughs) Anyways, the FBI agent and the sheriff take little brother for now. And then FBI agent Mark tells Cash and Susan, we'll talk later away from here. And they do. They meet at some diner, probably in another town, right? Because they can't be seen talking to Mm -hmm. authorities. Yeah, they meet in a couple of towns over. I think it was Parsons. So Cash is thinking that he has the upper hand because he has all this information on drug dealers in town. And the FBI agent, Mark, he's excited, right? Because he's this rookie guy and he's trying to break a case to make a name for himself. Essentially... Cash comes to this meeting with a laundry list of demands. And Mark's like, listen, man, I don't know if I can do it. I need to talk to my boss. Yeah, I'm just a small fry here. I have higher ups. I need to clear this. Mark excuses himself from the table and tells the sheriff deputy to entertain their guests. The sheriff deputy starts talking about noodling. And I I don't know if you know what noodling is, Rose. No, I don't. It's essentially catfish fishing, but you use your body as the bait. So you essentially, you wade into murky creek water, pond water, whatever. You wade into it and then you find holes and then you just shove your whole hand into this hole to grab catfish. Oh my God. And yeah, so like you essentially, you are the bait and the fishing line and the fishing pole. (laughs) So you're like body fishing catfish. I thought catfishes could be huge. They are. That's why you put your whole hand in their body to pull them out. Oh my God. So you're like wrestling with a cat. That's how I would go down. That would be RIP me. Yeah, no, you're wrestling a whole catfish. Even in like my mother-in-law's little cow pond, 
in the field, there is probably catfish that are easily like two feet long in this little cow pond. If you're looking at like a creek that like connects to like a river or something, you're going to get some big old catfish. I want to ask ChatGPT, what's the biggest catfish ever? Oh my God. 600 in 2005, a 646 pound catfish was caught. It was nine feet long. Holy cow, ma'am. That's a dinosaur. That is not. That's a dinosaur. They're using their arms. At this point, you're using your legs like you're wrapping around that fish. (laughs) Using small toddlers. (laughs) Hold your breath, baby. (laughs) Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't know that was a thing. Thank you so much for explaining that. (laughs) You're welcome. Anyways, the sheriff deputy is telling his story about catfishing. So while Mark is away talking to his boss, um, guess who, who else gets a phone call? Susan gets a phone call at the bar. And it ends up being her sister. And her sister says that she just got a phone call from West Virginia Welfare. And so essentially, someone reported Susan to the to welfare authorities. No sooner does Susan get off that phone, Mark is right behind her. Yeah, it was him. It was him. It was him. So essentially, he understands that Susan is the brains and Susan is the decision maker between her and Cash. And that right now, Mark doesn't want to make a deal with Cash, but he also knows that Susan's too smart to make a deal with him. So Mark put on some pressure by jeopardizing her West Virginia welfare Mm -hmm. because now she has to work with him because she needs that money. Mark tells her, I want you as my informant and I will pay you. And look at that. You're in need of a check right now because you just lost your your other welfare check. Listen, I'm not saying that I agree with his tactics, but I am saying that was smart. It was a little chess move. But Susan is she's a badass, dude. When they go back to the table, because this is kind of a secret deal, right? Mm -hmm. Susan is not going to tell Cash that she's the one that's going to become the informant. Well, Mark told her not to. Mark and Susan go back to the table and sit down. And immediately, Susan just reaches her leg across underneath the table and puts her high heel. She's wearing these cute little wedge heels, by the way. She puts her heel right on Mark's groin and starts to press. And Mark doesn't react. And it was such a strange power dynamic there where she was telling him like, you screwed me over to force me to work with you, but I still hold some power. Yeah, she's like, I am not this docile little doll. Listen, I get it. I am not an upstanding citizen. I am not going to be winning any awards anytime soon, but like also I can step on your crotch. He metaphorically put on some pressure. She physically, yeah, <laughs> literally put on some pressure. The way he doesn't react is wild to me. But then also there are men that would pay a lot of money for Amelia Clark to stomp on their crotch. So listen, I would pay a lot of money for Amelia Clark <laughs> to stomp on my crotch. I'm just saying he got it for free. Lucky him. But He did get, listen, I'm just saying, okay, so the actor that plays Mark, does he not give you just like some sociopath vibes, like his dead eyes? Mm -hmm. His eyes are kind of hard, but you could tell he's young and you definitely feel the rookie on him and you could definitely feel the desperation to try to prove himself. And I think that's where the hardness comes in, where Mm -hmm. he he has a chip on his shoulder. So Mark gets Susan to agree to meet with him, a private meeting, just the two of them. They meet in this random field a couple towns over, and he explains what the deal would be. So essentially, Mark has already manipulated her into having to help him. But in order for her to actually keep up with that, he needs to know what's going to make her tick, what's going to make her keep ticking. And he's like, what do you want? And she's like, rehabbing a new life. Yeah, She wants to go to rehab, she wants to get clean, and then she wants to take her kids and get the hell out of Pikeville. And he essentially promises that he can give that to her. And not only that, he tells her, I can give you hundreds and hundreds of dollars for every meeting, for every piece of information you give me, you will get paid. Because so Mark knows that Susan has connections in the underbelly of, of the crime world here in this town. 
And yes. he knows that she probably knows who the bank robber is. And that's who he really wants. He wants the bank robber. He wants the bank robber. And so after a few meetings, he essentially is like, listen, Susan, I've already given you several payments and you've given me nothing. If you want to keep getting paid, you need to give me something. And at this point, Susan has a general idea of who the bank robber is. Yeah, she was suspecting her tenant. She didn't know for sure. But then she snuck into her tenant's room and looked into this duffel bag. And it just it had like a bank robbery kit. Yeah. He, he ordered on Etsy, I'm sure. The tenant and the girlfriend are sleeping in the bed. Susan is opening this duffel bag. She's looking at these huge shotgun bullets and these sawed off shotguns. And the tenant just sneaks up behind her. And he's mm-hmm. like, do you want to hold one? No, you creep. Get away from me. <laughs> and she's and she just shakes her head. And he's like, make sure you watch the news for the next couple of weeks. It's going to be big. Yeah. So you know what? This is confirmation. This is. Yeah. And so, you know, she goes and she tells Mark. Susan tells Mark, I know who it is. But the thing is that having a duffel bag full of sawed off shotguns and ammo isn't a crime, especially in Kentucky. That's (laughs) that's a Tuesday. That's a Tuesday. That's everybody. That's most men, especially in like rural areas. Mm -hmm. Shotguns are just home safety. And what about the ski masks? You know what? Hunting is a thing. Yeah. And you need ski masks for hunting because your face gets cold. Oh, okay. It's just not enough. Maybe in Connecticut, where Mark is from, this is enough. (laughs) In Pikeville, Kentucky, hey, some shady dude has two guns. They're like, okay. Yeah. Mark decides it's not enough. And he's like, I think we're going to have to let him go through with the bank robbery. The thing about Mark's meetings with Susan, which are happening more and more frequently, is that he can tell Susan is attracted to him and he he's using that to his advantage. He leans in closer yes. than he needs to. He lets his hand linger on her hand. And for a long time, it looks like he is in control of the dynamic between them, especially when he tells her things like, you are the key to everything I'm trying to accomplish. Like you, mm-hmm. you're the most important woman in this town for me. Like he says that to her. Mark should know better because Mark is married with mm-hmm. a baby, a whole ass wife and baby. Yeah. But I honestly, I don't blame Susan for starting to fall for the first man who has showed her any shred of decency. This is why it's so dangerous for women who are in vulnerable positions to get too close to a man in power, because this is exactly the dynamic that's happening here. Mark can put her in jail at any point. He has power over her. Mm -hmm. And also he has the power of being, a uh, I don't know, I almost said attractive, but he's probably just average. So I looked up the real Mark Putnam and the real Susan Smith. She's way out of his league. Like he was not that he was not hot enough for her to be swooning. Yeah. But the thing is, is that he was being a decent man towards her. Right. Coming from what was portrayed as a very abusive relationship, dangling sobriety in front of her, mm-hmm. which is what she wants the most. Dangling freedom, dangling money, yes. dangling a new life, but then also this promise that he that he cares about her because the closer she gets to helping him crack this career making case the more interested he is in her Mm -hmm. but it's not for the reasons she thinks it's a romantic interest really he's you know he's trying to make his career at first i'm like susan you know he's married you need to stop yeah if you pursue this you are trash And then when I really sat and thought about it, I'm like, you know what? It's literally just the perfect storm for Susan of being lured into the trap that Mark set for her to Mm -hmm. trust him. And trust is such an aphrodisiac to women. Oh, my God, isn't it? And not only that, he at no point was he sexualizing her. And I think for a woman like her who has probably been sexualized and abused her whole life, right? To have a man who's non-threatening, who's offering you safety, who's not sexualizing you. I think all of that made her feel like she was in love with him when really it was almost Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, it's almost Stockholm syndrome. And the thing is, is that Mark coming from the educated background that he came from, he tells us that he went to a private school, he went to college, he went to the FBI Academy. 
like Mark coming from the educated background that he came from knew exactly what he was doing. Whereas Susan didn't even see it coming. Right. You know what I mean? And she has a track record of making bad decisions. Like she does not make clear-minded decisions. But every time he pages her to meet with him, she gets giddy. Yeah. So what happens is the tenant does go through the bank robbery with his girlfriend as the getaway driver. As he's robbing the bank, somebody walks in. And when somebody walks in, that gives the teller the opportunity to put one of the exploding ink packs into the bag. She does that. She clears out the safe. As he's running to the car, the ink pack explodes, leaving ink and dye everywhere. Okay, the robber is flustered. He can't, he doesn't know what to do. So he goes to his mom's house. Yeah. And then he calls Cash. Susan hears Cash on the phone. Right now, I feel like Susan's mind is on make Mark happy. Yes. And so she needs the phone number that Cash wrote on his hand. So she sleeps with cash to get the phone number off his hand while he's in his post-coital bliss. Right. And she's doing it all for Mark. So then she's able to go to Mark and tell him, this is the phone number. This is where the bank robber is holding up in his mom's house. And so Mark gets to do this career making bust where he brings out the FBI field office and the local sheriff's department and they surround the bank robber's mom's house and they catch him. And Mark is elated. But not just that, he brought Susan to witness witness it like she's I don't know why he brought her that's so bizarre but yeah she's in is it his truck that she's in yeah his like FBI issued SUV up until this point Susan because she's obviously been falling in love with him she has Mm -hmm. been coming on to him at one point she even tries to kiss him but he he pushes her back but he never sets his foot down super firmly he doesn't discourage her 100% he kind of does that like oh come on Susan you know I can't so he always leaves that door just a little cracked because he's manipulating her exactly but then this night is when things get out of control. Yeah, he's riding that high of catching this robber. Susan helped him do it. And listen, Susan's looking good. So they end up going to this cabin, like this motel room cabin thing that they rent, and they end up having sex. This starts their affair. They start having this long affair. They meet all the time. Meanwhile, he's still married with a whole ass wife and a baby. And it seems Mm -hmm. like his wife knows that something is going on. Yes. And she's just the kind of woman that just doesn't want to know. Couldn't be me. (laughs) Could not be me. No. So they start this whole affair and he starts divulging like personal information. And then he also, he starts doubling down with telling Susan he could lay with her in bed forever and he'll never get enough of it. Listen, dude, you were in the position of power. You were using her. I don't know if he's still keeping up with the charade because he needs her to testify at the trial or what. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. Susan's obsession with Mark is growing wildly out of control to the point where she ends up calling his house and talks to his wife. At first, Susan is trying to make the wife jealous, I think, because she says, hi, this is Susan Smith. I need to talk to your husband, but I can't tell you why. Girl. (laughs) Yeah. The wife is like, I know all about you, Susan. Mark's not here. He's trying to make friends with the locals. Mm -hmm. Susan asks her out to coffee. Like she's asking the wife of her, what do you call it? Lover out for coffee. And you know what? The wife agrees. She's like, yeah. Turns out the wife used to be a bad girl. I think this sheds so much light into Mark. Yeah, so the wife said that she got kicked out of two Catholic schools. She was really into drugs and alcohol. And by the time she was 18, she just got tired of waking up in bed with men she didn't know and went to her parents and they sent her to rehab. This is interesting because obviously Mark knows this background and he, in a way, it's like he likes to be the savior because at this point, Susan is sober and she's been sober for... I don't know, a couple of weeks, maybe a month or two. The the time mm-hmm. that she has been with Mark, she has been sober. It's like he's, quote, saving her from her life. You know what? I think people with the white knight complex 
they need to stay far away from law enforcement. Yeah. I feel like you'd think it would be a good fit, but I feel like regardless of how much it fits in theory, I think that it has such a potential to go wrong very fast. Yes. She is becoming obsessed with him in real life, in the real life story. Susan ends up cutting her hair to look like Mark's wife. That's how obsessed she becomes. And also, (gasps) she becomes really good friends with Mark's wife to the point where she basically plays their therapist. Like she lets his wife talk about their marital problems and he she gives her advice like she infiltrates his life you know what i'm impressed (laughs) you're impressed like if you're gonna be crazy like do it you know do it right listen susan is only as crazy as mark made her Mm. to be completely honest i feel like susan is just reacting to the circumstances that mark laid out for her Yeah, she was a troubled woman from the beginning and she fell into the hands of someone who could kind of exploit that in a way that seemed to be for good, but for the good of who? Because the only one benefiting from this whole situation is Mark. His career is getting a boost. He's getting a lover. He's getting all the pats in the back. Mm -hmm. Susan starts to call him Mr. Perfect resentfully because he's coming up smelling like roses. Listen, Susan was doing just fine selling drugs, defrauding welfare before Mark (laughs) came along. All right. He fucked up her life. All right. She was doing just fine before he got there. Yeah. So things get worse for Susan. Yeah. So Mark ghosts her. He gives her a $6,000 payment and he's like, that'll make this interaction easier. And she's like, what interaction? He goes, this is it. I'll see you at the trial when you testify. We're done. Susan is just devastated, devastated because she thought her and Mark had something special. And you know what? Susan is not one to take this line down. She's so angry and upset because she also finds out that Mark's wife is pregnant. So Mm -hmm. Susan is really upset. She feels like that's the reason he's pulling away and that he's discarding her. She decides to hit him where it hurts, which is his career. And she, Mm -hmm. she ruins his drug bust. Yeah, she goes and she tips off the this big drug dealer. She's like, listen, the FBI knows about your interstate drug operation. You need to get it under control. You need to hide it. You need to move it. The FBI shows up and they barely get enough to bust him at all for anything. But then the guy is like, hey, listen, like I'm never here. I'm getting ready to sell this property. Ask anybody. The FBI agent says, listen, I have pictures of you here. And then the drug dealer goes, then that means you have pictures of your girlfriend here, too. Mark gets really uncomfortable because Mark's co-worker looks at him like, what? Girl, Mm -hmm. his dirty laundry is starting to smell all the way from work. Well, with her new $6,000 and some satisfaction of some good old fashioned revenge, Susan goes and buys a Mustang. Yeah, she buys a new car. At this point, she had been kicked out of her house by her ex because someone saw her coming out of a motel. Mark Mm -hmm. had ghosted her. He never showed up for their meeting at the motel. Susan had been calling him and calling him. And uh, someone tipped off her ex that she was at a motel. And he just, he really, he beats her up really badly. Yeah, And I don't understand when the police come, like an ambulance comes and takes Susan to the hospital, but they don't arrest him. And I don't understand. What did they think happened? Yeah, they don't arrest him. Maybe they thought a stray cat got really angry at her. It's frustrating. I don't know. It's frustrating. I know in some places you can press charges, even if the woman doesn't want to press charges. But this is in the 80s. So maybe it was different. They just leave this man who just beat the shit out of Susan. They just leave him with the two children. The 80s were wild, man. This was our How world. How we survive? I mean, <laughs> listen, I was only alive for six months of the 80s. Oh, but okay. like, yeah, like I don't. How did we survive? Like, how did how did people survive the 80s, man? (laughs) Our parents were drinking and smoking while pregnant. Yeah, the 80s were wild times. Susan is in really bad shape. Cash really did a number on her. What a dirtbag. I can't stand men who feel like the epitome of masculinity is beating on a woman. Don't you see how how pathetic that is? It's I, I, I don't get it. I think it's just testosterone makes you crazy. You know what? Like, you should pray for men. (laughs) So, well, Mark shows up at the hospital for Susan and 
he's like, well, you got my attention. He is such an ass about it. He Mm -hmm. obviously doesn't want to be there. He's really upset. She is so happy to see him. She even says, if I had known this was going to make you show up, I would have had him beat me up sooner. Mark's still not having any of it. He's like, you know what, Susan? I'll see you at the trial. I'm in a bad spot right now because being around you is betraying my wife. And my wife thinks by ignoring you, I'm betraying you. Because the wife became friends with Susan. And so the wife doesn't understand why he suddenly wants nothing to do with her. And I mean, come on. I think the wife does know. She's just playing dumb. Listen, I'm just saying the wife seems like she'd be open to sort of like a swippy swap situation. I feel like the wife would welcome Susan into her home with open arms as long as Susan contributed with the cleaning Mm -hmm. and cooking and taking care of the children. They could do a sister wives situation. Yeah, we could all live together. We can take turns with Mark, help the cooking and cleaning and raise our children together. Yeah, I think the wife would have been like, you know what? That's... That seems pretty legit. I yeah. think that Kathy, the wife, <laughs> would have been like, yeah. Like you could tell everybody she's the live-in nanny. Like nobody has mm-hmm. to know because it's the 80s and people aren't as open to these mm-hmm. kind of scenarios. Yeah, Listen, but the 80s was a wild time for swinging. So it's, I'm <laughs> but just it saying. But it was all underground though. It was all secret. It wasn't like a suburban mm acceptable thing. Not that it is now either. Why do they have pineapples on their curtains? <laughs> Nowadays, people are putting pineapples like in their, in their doormat, like they're like inviting the UPS guy in. I don't know. What's the UPS guy look like? They usually got giant calves, if that's your thing, from all that walking. Mm. Forearms? <laughs> Forearms are my thing. <laughs> from carrying the heavy boxes. Them calves, girl. Mm, what them legs do, boy? <laughs> We have to be stopped. We need someone needs to take these mics away from us immediately, but no one will. Nope. Because they would have to be in two different states at the same time. They would. They would have to get past all five of my children <laughs> asking them for a warrant. <laughs> your children would be like, I'm sorry, where's your warrant? The day of the trial has come. Not only that, Mark has a new partner. There's a new FBI agent that got sent to Pikeville, Bob Singer, and he's a more experienced seasoned agent. And from the get go, Mm -hmm. immediately you could tell he doesn't like Mark because Mark is this, Mm -hmm. you know, fresh eyed little rookie who just cracked a, a big case and has a big head about it now. Yeah, he also I think he knows. I think Bob knows something's going on with Mark. And Susan. Yeah. So apparently there's a rule in the FBI, even then, even in the 80s and the late 80s, apparently there was a rule where male FBI agents were not allowed to be alone with female informants. And Mark didn't know that rule. Because Mark was always alone. (laughs) They were always alone. You know what? Understand. It's probably for the protection of the female witness, even if the FBI agent was a stand-up guy and not doing anything bad, it's probably so feelings don't get caught as easily. And not just that, but that no one misrepresents the events too. Well, I also, I think that a lot of times informants are people who are easily manipulated because informants aren't going to be a Wall Street hedge fund manager. Right. They're going to be people who are easily manipulated, easily bought, people who are down on their luck. And I think that people who are easy to manipulate like that definitely are drawn towards people that they feel like they trust. And again, trust is a powerful aphrodisiac. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's very easy for emotions to be miscommunicated. Yeah, there's a reason for that rule. It's there's a reason for it. It's just a recipe for disaster. But yeah, it's the day of the trial and Susan has to come in and testify against everyone she has snitched on and the town sees her do this. So this isn't good for her reputation. It's not. They're calling her snitches in the courtroom. Poor Susan stumbling over her words. And then right after the trial where this dude is found guilty, right after the trial, Mark up and fucking leaves town. Yeah, I think he uses the death threats that he has gotten as a reason to get Mm -hmm. reassigned because he just, he wants to get out of there. He did what he wanted to do, which is have that career making break and Mm -hmm. now he wants to go be a big shot somewhere else and he does he goes to Chicago and he is introduced as this golden boy who broke more cases in his first year than most agents do in their career yeah so he 
up and leaves town. So poor Susan is left with the aftermath of all of this by herself. After the trial, Susan got her final payment for witness protection, I guess. And instead of taking their offer to relocate her, they gave her the money to do it herself. It doesn't sound like witness protection, giving you the money. Like, I don't have the connections the government has. Like, you witness protect me, you know? I can't witness protect myself. Witness protection is wild. So they give you like this questionnaire about if you can go anywhere in the world, what were your top five places be if you could? And then they don't send you there. <laughs> they do the they do the exact opposite. Yeah. So if you're like, if I can go anywhere in the world, I would go to Scotland. Bitch, you're going to Utah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, I hope you like Syria. But <laughs> it's one of those things to where like they... They are so secretive about it. And then also they take you on different planes to different places Mm -hmm. using different passports Mm -hmm. before you get your final identity. It's wild. I don't know if things were different in the 80s, but it just goes to show that no one cared about what happened to Susan after she helped make all these guys careers. Because like I said, even if she hadn't used all the money, which she used all the money probably on drugs, right? Because she's back on drugs. Mm -hmm. Even if she hadn't, how could she give herself a new life? She doesn't have the connections that the government has. It's so stupid for them to just to be like, here, figure it out. No, because the FBI or whoever was in charge, they had already chalked Susan up to a lost cause drug addict. They're like, okay, you know what? We could either give her $10,000 right now and have her just go away and be done with her Or we can put $20,000 into relocating her and her children, getting her into rehab and starting her a new life. And then her chance of relapse is going to be 60%. We just rather not spend the money. They had already chalked her up as a lost cause and they didn't feel like spending the resources Mm -hmm. to give her the life that they promised to give her. It's so sad. And so Mark goes off to start his new life. His career is going great. Him and his wife bought a new house. He's super happy. But Susan is just getting worse and worse. She's spiraling because not only is she back to using drugs, she Mm -hmm. is hated in the town. She's stuck in the Mm -hmm. town. She is full of anger and rage towards Mark. And also she's pregnant. Yeah. So she's at a bar one night and she gets the shit beat out of her. I mean, it's four people just kicking the shit out of poor Susan. She ends up going to Bob Singer, the new FBI agent She's just kind of venting to him. And he's like, do you want me to help you make an official report? She's like, what's that going to accomplish? He's like, it'll get you justice. And she goes, do I look like the kind of person that an official report gets justice for? This guy, this other FBI agent, just because he hates Mark and truthfully, Mark is a dirtbag in this situation, right? He wants to see Mark go down and he basically says, what can I do to help you? And what Susan does, she calls Mark and she tells him that she's pregnant. She calls him at the office. <laughs> she calls him at the office of his new FBI job. Like, you know, those phones are tapped. You know, there's mm-hmm. someone getting all the tea. Like, oh, shit, Mark, got somebody pregnant? Yeah. And so what happens is the Mark is like, listen, I'm coming back to Pikeville for a couple of days. We'll talk when I get there. Yeah, because he has some sort of court appearance that he needs to do for one of his cases. So mm-hmm. he goes back to Pikeville and... Susan is staying at the best hotel of the town because she knows that's where Mark is going to be. And it's being paid for by the FBI, by that other agent that wants to take Mark down. Yeah. And Mark's like, why are you here? And she's like, oh, the FBI is paying for it. And Mark is mad because now Mark knows she probably told Bob something juicy to get him to pay for that hotel. She is making a scene in the middle of the hotel. Things are spiraling quickly and she does not look okay. Like her eyes are bloodshot. Mm -hmm. She's lost a ton of weight. At first, it seems like Mark is still being a good guy because he offers to take her out to eat. But he still, he looks down on her and he's so condescending to her because he tells her like, listen, maybe me and and my wife can raise this baby. Like he's completely cutting her out Mm -hmm. of the situation, which is obviously not what Susan wants. Obviously Susan Uh wants him to want to be with her. 
You know, she thinks that she can just have a new life with him, which is so delusional. Yeah. And he's like, what do you want from me, Susan? She's like, I want you to be there when he's born. And I want you to sign the birth certificate as his father. And Mark's like, ah, fuck that. That feels like owning up to a lot of my mistakes. (laughs) Ooh, I just can't fit that in my schedule. Mm -hmm. Susan is volatile. Obviously, she's high. She's on drugs. She's extremely angry. So on the way back from getting food, she's screaming at Mark. She grabs the wheel and causes the car to go off onto an embankment. And Mm -hmm. they get into a really bad fight. At this point, Susan is really at rock bottom and she is desperate. And she's like, you know what? She's like, go ahead, run back to Chicago. I'm going to tell the FBI. I'm going to tell your wife. I'm going to tell everybody. Everybody's going to know. Like, you are not going to get away with this. You are not going to get away with leaving me here in Pikeville. And I think at this point, Mark just snaps. Yeah. Because he can't let that happen. The way it's depicted, it's as though it's this desperate accident where he's trying to get her to stop and he's covering her face to get her to stop talking. We see it from two different ways. We see it from his perspective and we also see it from her perspective. Right. His perspective is a total accident where he's just trying to cover her. He's just like, please stop, 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 stop. Be quiet. And he accidentally smothers her, which like... Mm -hmm. I call cap. You do not accidentally smother a person. From her perspective, he starts punching and then strangles her. From her perspective, he strangles her to death, which is actually the accepted version of events. So Mark kills her and then he's basically getting away with it. No one's Mm -hmm. reported her missing. No one's found her body. No one's looking for this woman. Mark can basically get away with killing Susan. Yeah, because people are starting to talk that she's probably dead, but they're like, yeah, she pissed off a lot of people. It's probably one of the people she snitched on. Even the authorities in the city are like, yeah, it's probably somebody she snitched on. Yeah, but they also, like I said, no one knows that she's actually dead. They're just assuming like, Mm -hmm. oh, Susan is gone. She probably went off somewhere or maybe she's dead. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just so sad because- No one seems to care about this woman. And she has two kids. There are two Mm -hmm. children that just lost their mom. Yeah. And so we have Mark who goes to his wife and he's like, hey, babe, I need to talk to you. Ten months later, it's like really early in the morning. And she's like, right now? He's like, yeah, right now. So she gets up and she lights a cigarette and she's like, all right, go ahead. Talk to me. And he's like, it's about it's about Susan. And she's like, nope, it's in the past. I don't want to hear about it. He's like, it's not in the past. Her mind immediately goes to, okay, Susan is pregnant. That's right. The affair continued. Susan is pregnant. And Kathy goes, did you get her pregnant? And Mark says, yeah. And then he confesses to killing her. Yeah. And he's telling his wife because he's about to confess to the authorities. But his wife is like, no, 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 no. Do not confess to the authorities. I can live with this. Like it will stay just between us. Mark's like, um, actually, I can't live with it. I've tried for like 10 months. Um. Mm-hmm. The guilt is eating at me, so I'm going to have to go turn myself in. What's crazy is that in real life, right, Mark turns himself in through his lawyer. Like his lawyer calls the DA and says, I have a man here who wants to confess to murder. And the DA says, this is the first time that I've ever heard of someone confessing to a crime that no one had any idea even happened. I'm just saying, if I was was looking like I was in the clear of a crime I committed, ain't no fucking way I'm turning myself in. I don't know, dude. I feel like prison is not the worst thing that could possibly happen to a person because he was living with those demons for 10 months. And I think if there's any redemption to Mark is the fact that he felt guilty enough to confess. That's the only kind of redeeming quality that he has because he has been absolute garbage this whole time. Mark's redemption doesn't bring back... Susan. No, but what I just, what I mean, obviously it doesn't, but what I mean by that is looking at him as someone who murdered someone else, you would think this is a complete monster who lacks empathy, remorse, everything else. But then he confesses because he can't live with it. So then you think, wow, maybe he did feel remorse. I mean, he still killed someone. It just, it kind of bends my understanding of the human psyche to a point that 
it feels really uncomfortable, especially because this is a real life story. Yeah. I would love for him to just be a monster. I would love for him to Mm -hmm. not have any redeeming qualities because I hate the idea that a person who is capable of feeling guilty for doing something like this could also Mm -hmm. do something like this. Yeah. I, I don't know. I know that there are crimes of passion and Mark ended up doing 10 years in prison. He was sentenced to 14 years. He served 10 and he got out in 2000, in the year 2000. His wife, Kathy, passed away a year after his incarceration due to alcoholism. The children were raised by their grandparents Mm -hmm. until Mark was released from prison. Susan and Cash's children were raised by Susan's sister. And Cash just lingered in Pikeville. It's such a tragic ending. I think at, at the very least, he did confess and lead authorities to Susan's remains, which I'm sure like her sister and her kids deserve to know what happened. And I'm Mm -hmm. glad they got answers. But then also, he's walking among us. And it's such a strange thing that there are people who did these things. And then they, quote, paid their debt to society, quote. And now they're walking among us. I don't know. Like, how? It's just, it's so hard for me to wrap my head around this. I think Mark is absolute trash. Not only because he killed Susan, because... I think that what ultimately made Mark the biggest piece of trash was that he manipulated his position of authority. Would he have just done his job the way he was supposed to do his job, Susan would still be alive. Or at least Susan would not have been murdered. And right at the end of this movie, we get actual footage from the real life Mark. And honestly, I could have done without seeing this man talk about the crime because he describes the moment that he killed her and he says that it just happened so quickly and he didn't mean to and all these things. He's talking about it and there's zero emotion on his face. I don't know if that's because he truly doesn't feel any emotion or because he's had to compartmentalize so much. But here's the thing. Like I said, if I committed a crime and I knew I was going to get off scot-free, there is no amount of guilt that would make me turn myself in. All right. I'm just saying Gonna up that Lexapro? No. Okay. I swear to God. I call cap on that. Couldn't it be me? No. Knowing you're a good person, and I don't think you would be able to live with that. See, listen, he confessed and he did 10 years in jail. Like 10 years is not that long, honestly. Like 10 years, and now he can be free without worrying, like looking over his shoulders. I would turn myself in. I don't know. I don't want to think about it anymore. This hurts my brain. <laughs> Listen, I have such a healthy fear of the law that the biggest crimes I commit is going like seven over the speed limit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like sometimes I take rolling stop signs. That's that. That's it. Listen, I would not make it in jail. I would not make it in jail. Okay. I am five foot two. I have a bad ankle. Like I, (laughs) I would not make it in jail. So like, it's one of those things where I'm just like, oof. I think that's one of the things that keeps me from committing crimes is I fear the judicial system and I know I wouldn't make it in jail. Yeah. Well, then let's just leave it at that. Let's continue to have a healthy fear of the judicial system. My fear is not because of my ankle or my height. It's because I feel like there's a higher probability that a judge would be like, yeah, you know what? You don't get probation for your first offense. You're going to jail for the rest of your life. And I'm like, but it was just a stop sign. And you'd be like, (laughs) doesn't matter. Anyways, that's where our movie leaves us. The teapot is empty for today. Don't worry, more is bringing it on the way. We'll be back next week with another episode. See you next time. Bye.